What, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Ballantin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabrow. I'm in a new little area. This is actually my old room in my parents' house. But there is a tree cutting service outside of my apartment right now. So I had to switch venues, and this is a better one than my apartment right now. So we're going to have to just deal with it. But Kev, what's going on, man? I'm chilling, man. Looking like you're ready to play an intro song on the keys right there, bro. The old-fashioned holding the microphone like we back in the 80s and shit. So I appreciate that. But That's a, drop, drop a beat. <laughs> I'm, ready to, I'm ready to spit. Oh, we out here. About to drop a mixtape at Club Dab. Yo, we out here. So on today's agenda, guys, we are going to talk about the LA Lakers falling short and losing to the Phoenix Suns in a series ending 4-2 win. Last night, the Suns won 113-100. to 100. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about LeBron's legacy and what this loss may mean to his career. Then we're going to talk about the other game that took place yesterday, which was the Portland Trailblazers uh, and the Denver Nuggets, in which Denver won that series as well, 4-2. to two. So then we're going to talk about after that, potentially, what does this mean for Damian Lillard and the rest of his career? He had a not controversy or controversial post, but he did have a questionable post after the game. And me and Kyle will dive into that a little bit. And then we'll just go right into our next round series uh, predictions for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. That begins on Saturday, uh, round two of the Eastern Conference playoffs. So it seems we have a full slate for today. But first and foremost, again, you know, as we have for most of these segments, Kyle, the L.A. Lakers unfortunately lose in the first round to the Phoenix Suns. And that's behind Devin Booker's incredible performance of 47 points. So as a Laker fan, I got to hear your, your your thoughts. What do you think this means for your team going forward? There's going to be some question marks with the entirety of the roster outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis. I think those are pretty much the two mainstays as far as what it's going to be like going into next year. But, I mean, all in all, in game six, just the Lakers got smashed. They got smashed in the first quarter. I think they were, they only scored 14 points. Devin Booker scored 22 in the first quarter. I mean, not much you can do there. I mean, they were down by 29 points at one point in the second quarter. They just were completely outmatched. Just the Suns were the better team from beginning to end of game six. And I do appreciate the fact that the Lakers made a pretty decent comeback in the second half. At one point, they were able to get it down to 10 points in the fourth quarter. But then Chris Paul comes back with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter after a Wesley Matthews missed three, the Suns go on a seven Oh run. The league goes back up to 17. And at that point, the Lakers had just completely checked out, but you got to give credit to the Suns. The Suns played an outstanding series really ever since 80 went out in game four, the Suns just went on a tear and not only just offensively, but defensively they played outstanding. I mean, when you're holding the Lakers, to point totals that are in the teens for the quarters that they're playing in, that's outstanding. Granted, the Lakers weren't making shots, even though they had some decent looks, but a lot of that it was because of the defensive pressure that the Suns were putting on the Lakers. So I got to give credit to Monty Williams for his coaching performance in this series against the defending champions in the Lakers. As far as what I think this is going to have an impact for the offseason, look, the Lakers got to rest up. A lot of these guys were dinged up, especially LeBron and AD. AD couldn't even make it through the game. 
because that groin issue was just too much to overcome. He only played five and a half minutes in the first quarter, and then he tried to make one contest. I think Devin Booker was trying to make a layup, and he ended up – I think Book missed a shot, but Anthony Davis just couldn't continue. That that groin was just – it looked like he was in some serious pain and just he could not continue. And with LeBron, same thing. He, I think that ankle issue was a significant one, May, maybe one that – necessarily i didn't think would be that big of an issue but it it looked like he was having a difficult time really trying to get some explosion just his bursts were not there and he took so many three-point shots in this series it's unlike him to do that simply because a lot of the damage that he can create is from driving to the basket and he didn't do that a lot this series so I, i definitely think that ankle issue played a factor but all in all the lakers got punked in the last two games of the series and the Suns just gave it to him. The Devin Booker was absolutely sensational in the last two games of the series. I mean, he dropped 47 points. He started the first quarter, 22 points. I think he was six of six from beyond the three point line. Three, that yeah. guy could not miss. I mean, he finished the game eight of 10 and he shot 15 of 22 from the field. I mean, the Suns as a team behind the three point line, they were 51% compared to the Lakers. Like I think they were in the thirties. It's just you're not going to be able to combat against that. Um, all in all, the season for the Lakers is a disappointing one. I think this series really turned on its head once AD went out with that groin injury. And look, the, the Suns smelled blood in the water when AD went out. Obviously, LeBron was affected with his ankle, and the Suns took advantage of it. So give credit where credit is due. The Suns were the better team, and they proved that. And they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the second round of the playoffs. I mean, honestly, you kind of took all the words out of my my thought process here. I mean, I'm just sitting here looking at this box score, and I'm just – like we do every episode, I know that the numbers don't mean everything, but when you have donuts going around and, like, single-digit points for the majority of your backups, that doesn't really help your superstars when they need the support that LeBron legitimately needed with AD out. I mean, Marcus Gasol had 18 minutes with zero points. You had freaking Kyle Kuzma with 18 minutes and two points. Wesley Matthews with 12 points being the leading bench scorer other than Taylor Horton Tucker, but Alex Caruso, two points. Um, You're sitting here looking at Montrez Harrell, two points. Uh, Markeith Morris, 16 minutes, two points. So what what can you really say other than the fact of these players just did not step up? Granted, when the season started and all of these players were acquired or re-signed, Everybody said that the Lakers were for sure winning a championship. Oh, screw Brooklyn. It doesn't make a difference. The Lakers match up well. But now everyone's bringing the narrative. Ron didn't have no help. This Laker team is better than any Cleveland team he's ever been on in terms of on paper. And you're going to sit here and tell me that this team was full of scrubs. The Lakers re-signed Marquise Morris. The Lakers re-signed Kyle Kuzma to a very stupidly long deal, by the way. The Lakers acquired Andre Drummond, who got a DMP in game six, meaning he did not play. The Lakers re-signed Alice Caruso, and they signed Wesley Matthews. All of these things they did to themselves. These are the players they were excited to have on the roster. These are the people that they went out and recruited in replacement for the Dwight Howard and the JaVale McGee's and the Rajon Rondos. They had accepted they were going to lose pieces, but they also brought in key pieces they felt that their team needed. So I don't want to hear any excuse from any Braun fan that this team sucked or that this team was useless. 
Did they not make shots? hundred percent. Any team in the NBA can have shots like this or nights like this shit. Brooklyn has it sometimes too. It's usually the three superstars that go crazy, but that doesn't mean that Joe Harris doesn't have a bad night or that Blake Griffin doesn't have a bad night or any of the other bench players that they, they, they sought out for in the off season or during the regular season. So I don't want to hear the fact that the Lakers suck or that the Lakers weren't going to win with this roster because it didn't stop them all season when they were, when they were going crazy and everybody said, yo, Caruso's got lockdown defense. Montrez has the reigning six men of the year. Kyle Kuzma got a fresh contract. He's lit. He's fine. We got Mark Gasol. He's going to be a great backup. He's going to be a great starting, uh, a great starting five with AD if they go big. I refuse to accept that excuse. What I will accept is that they had a bad series and that the majority of the people, AKA the people that I just named, more than likely would not be on this team next year, starting with Andre Drummond and Kyle Kuzma. Andre signed for the remainder of the year. I truly believe he will not be back next year. Kyle Kuzma was in trade discussions throughout the entire regular season up until the trade deadline. Nobody wanted him. I believe he'll get moved. We're sitting here looking at Markeith Morris. He signed a one-year deal. More than likely, he'll be gone. I don't think Caldwell Pope will be coming back this year. He was on another one-year deal. Again, Dennis Schroeder, don't think he'll be back. I'm pretty sure he's on the last year, if not last two years of his contract. Marcus All, two-year deal. He'll probably get released because he played subpar this season. The majority, like I said, of this roster, Wesley Matthews, one-year deal. He's probably not coming back. Alex Caruso, one-year deal. He's getting looked at by other teams. They'll probably watch him walk. So then you look at next season, and you're sitting there like, well, LeBron will be 37 as that season progresses. AD is coming off of an injury-written season. What is LeBron James going to do? Are you going to reload and re-sign half the available free agents in, in, in the summertime again? Or are we going to just change this whole roster again? And then next season, oh, well, this is a new team. It's just excuse after excuse after excuse. Phoenix was a better team, led by Devin Booker's 47, Jay Crowder, 18, Mikel Bridges, 10, and so on and so forth. The only other person off the bench that played significant minutes that had double digits, Cam Johnson. Cameron Payne had the worst game of this series with only seven points, but they didn't really need to, they didn't really need to do much other than Devin Booker's performance. Again, like Kyle said, the better team won. They deserve to move forward. Anthony Davis's injury significantly affected the Lakers, obviously. So I'm not saying the Lakers aren't a better team. AD in this lineup makes them a lot more potent and a lot more threatening to any team in the NBA, but that's just not the case. They smelled blood in the water. They dominated where they needed to dominate. And then that perfectly transitions us into this LeBron James legacy thing. LeBron James prior to the series, 14-0 in the first round of the playoffs for, for the entirety of his career, right? Never lost in the first round. This is his first series loss in the first round. When you sit here and you look at the overall case of this series, right? His running mate got hurt towards the end of the series. LeBron James, not 100%. The team around him did not produce. I don't agree with the fact that people are going to sit here and put this all on LeBron James when he literally did everything he possibly could to help them win. Granted, he had a, career, a playoff career low in points and rebounds and free throw percentage and all these other things that Skip Bayless talked about today and on, on uh, Undisputed. But what else is he supposed to do when he's more than likely playing injured, when his team is playing subpar behind him, and when his second best player in Anthony Davis gets hurt and misses game five and then literally basically misses game six, he only played five minutes. How can you put this on LeBron James's shoulders when everything around him that needed to step up didn't? He played 41 minutes last night at 36 years old. He had 29 points. What, what more do you want from him? Everyone's talking about, oh, 
uh, elimination game brawn is a different animal. Yeah, when he was in his early 30s and 20s, the man has a lot of mileage on him. He's the freaking NBA's leading point scorer in the playoffs, leading playoffs in minutes. And you're going to sit here and tell me that LeBron James didn't play every ounce that he could? There's 48 minutes in a basketball game, ladies and gentlemen. He played 41, and the Lakers were in a double-digit deficit for the majority of this game. And he's human, so he needs to rest. He did everything he possibly could for the team. And people are sitting here saying, Bron's legacy is tainted. I think that's horseshit. How? How can a man's legacy be tainted when he had no assistance? I'm not countering the point I made a few moments ago, but I'm saying they did not produce. What is he supposed to do? Score 100 points alone? I just disagree completely. And I think that that's disrespectful that one of the game's greatest players in its history is going to be disrespected because of one series. 14-1 and one is still an immaculate record if he were to retire tomorrow in the first round. Michael Jordan can't say that. Michael Jordan for sure lost in the first round at least three or four times before he went on his historic run. Is Jordan still not the GOAT? At least in my mind, he is. I think this definitely shows that LeBron's character may be a little bit in question with his attitude off the court, leaving in the middle of game five at the end of it, although he's done that for the majority of his career. He just seems like a little bit more of a sore loser. His body language throughout the entirety of this game just looked like he didn't care, which is why he shot so many threes, like Kyle said. Settling for 10 three-pointers, only making three of them. I just think the only thing that this shows is he's definitely not the GOAT. He just, it, it did not pan out. He got a beautiful team assembly, assembled behind him and they did not produce. And that's, that's just all it is. It, it doesn't affect his legacy to say that he sucks or that he's not good. But the only point is I'll say is I just don't think that this just supports that argument of Jordan is better. Well, yeah. And I mean, I had a whole 15 minute YouTube video about this almost a year ago. And the reason why that I've always looked as Michael Jordan as the greatest basketball player of all time was just simply because of the fact that he dominated the league once he started winning. When LeBron started winning, he has been dominant in the Eastern Conference for the most part. Now that he's in the Western Conference, a little bit different. First year he's with the Lakers, they don't make the playoffs. Second year, he does Injury. win a title. I understand that, but still they didn't make the playoffs. Second year, they win a title. This year, a little bit different because of all the injuries. LeBron was out for a significant a significant period of time. Anthony Davis was out for a significant period of time as well. This whole season was essentially derailed by injuries. And that's something that a lot of people obviously don't factor in when they're thinking about a LeBron-led team coming off of a championship year. And this year in particular, it didn't work out simply because of injuries. Now, I, I do agree with the fact that him leaving early in these games or not showing 100% effort on certain plays that stand out does not a good look. And LeBron has had those moments where he essentially loafs, where he's not giving 100% effort. But, you know, when I look at this series in particular, it's an uphill battle because of all the injuries that, the team was dealing with specifically with LeBron and AD when you're number one and two guys are not at a hundred percent. And in AD's case, he was probably barely at 50. It's a recipe for disaster. And that's pretty much what took place here. 
And as far as LeBron's legacy goes, look, he's 18 years in. The guy has won four titles. He's by far what I consider the best player of this generation. And do I think that this series is an indictment against his career? Not necessarily. If anything, that 2011 finals against the Mavs is probably his biggest indictment in the entirety of his career as far as his legacy goes. But the guy has been phenomenal for the last decade plus. He ran into a situation where, look, you can't control injuries. Injuries are just a part of the game. And it didn't work out for them this year. It didn't work out for LeBron in his case as far as his legacy goes. But I think really the best thing going forward for him is just try to regroup for next year. And that's kind of going to be the interesting part because he's on the – He's on the tail end of his career. And I don't know if this ankle injury that he's that he suffered a couple weeks ago is going to speed up the the fact that he's going to retire in a couple years, but look from what I saw in this series, he relied on his jump shot more than he has ever done probably within like the last 5 to 6 years simply because he was limited on that ankle and he is going to be 37 like you mentioned earlier going into next season, well, when the season starts. But we're going to find out whether or not that LeBron can really defy father time. And as it stands right now, if you're going to kind of put this, going to use this series against him, people are going to say, oh, yeah, well, he's pretty much washed at this point. You know, he can't even carry the team like he used to when he was on Cleveland. He was able to carry scrubs on that team to finals appearances. And now he can't even get a team out of the first round. That's what, you know, LeBron haters will say. And not really, I'm not really a hater or like a diehard LeBron fan. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I could be practical about how I assess the series. Injuries just derailed the series for him. And that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, there's not really much else you can say. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Put players in bubble wrap and watch them like waddle across the floor and hope nobody gets hurt. It's it's a part of all sports. And to sit here and ridicule one person on a team in a team sport and say that it's his fault they lost is foolish. Yeah. Did he play to the top of his game that we're all used to? No. But once again, you're sitting here looking at a roster like, well, you have good players and they're not hitting shots. And LeBron James is less than 100% healthy. So you're sitting here like, well, one plus one. It's a formula for disaster. And there's not really much else other teams can say if he was on their team as well. You know, you could put LeBron on any other team. But when you lose your number two option, your number one option is hurt. And then the team supportingly, uh, the supporting cast around him doesn't produce, you, you, you're not going to win any team sport. So I just think it's, it, it's, it's out of pocket for people to say things like that because it, it's, it's completely out of his literal control. One point that I will make before we wrap this segment up is I think it is fair to say that the, the look of him leaving early in these games and him loafing on some of these plays, look, there has to be some criticism with that. That cannot, that we cannot push that to the side. And, you know, when he left early in game five, I don't know what the reason for it was. Was he possibly getting treatment or did he just have enough with what he had seen in game five and was saying, you know what, screw this. I'm out of here. Like, I'm just going to go back to the locker room and start my treatment. If that's the case, specifically talking about the latter, he's, he's deserving of some criticism in that, in that case, just because that's a really bad look. And you look like a bad teammate if that's the case. So, you know, 
LeBron has always been what I would consider he's the focal point of the team. But in this series in particular, he wasn't able to galvanize the teammates around him to get to where they wanted to. And it's going to, in in some of the highlights that I saw with him, he wasn't necessarily giving 100% effort on some plays. And LeBron has been known to do that from time to time. So I'm not going to let LeBron off the hook here. LeBron is definitely worthy of some criticism. And if people have a problem with it, fine. I don't really care. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that LeBron is unscathed from criticism from this series, nah. No, yeah, definitely not. No, 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 no. I agree worthy with you of criticism. Yeah, there, there's, there's levels of criticism you can give him in the series, especially because when you shoot 61% from the free throw line in a playoff series, unacceptable. When you're not playing to your capabilities that people are used to, if you're not knocking down shots as well, you know, you're, you're not putting up the points that you're accustomed to, you, you kind of get looked at like, uh, this isn't like you. Granted, again, injury, but you're still expected to carry this team because you're the best player on this team, arguably in the world, right? But the man has been known, like you said, to, to kind of walk off the court early or to kind of like give up on his team. There's been plenty of plays in this series and throughout his entire career where there's a turnover, whether by him or by another player, and he sits on the other side of the court and his other team is playing four on five. Yep. And then they sprint back and then they have another bad possession and LeBron is walking back across the other side of the court. Mm-hmm. There have been plenty of plays like that. And this series, just, just another I don't know, tick on his resume to show that when it's not going the way he wants or when he's visibly frustrated, you just stop playing. Like, do you realize how bad that makes you look and how, how much your team probably looks at you like, bro, can, if, you, if you would have been back, maybe they wouldn't have scored that point and then gone on this 12-0 run. You know, maybe we could have stopped that. Maybe we could have had a, 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 maybe another effort to get a, a fast break of our own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kyle's right. Definitely not going to be unscathed here. Crit- critique has already come from multiple professionals and from multiple analysts. Skip Bayless and, and as a primary, you know, focal point here. But, I mean, that's it, man. The season ends here for the Lakers and back to the drawing board. But another team that has been sent home this, pl- this postseason was the Portland Trailblazers. And their unfortunate ending to a, what seemed to be a phenomenal series going back and forth that ended in six with the Denver Nuggets. And this game was another great showing that both teams played their heart out. And I'm sitting here looking at this box score once again. You know, Denver wins 126 to 115. And the, the Nuggets just came out and showed out again. You know, a lot of their roster just, you know, put up great points. You had Aaron Gordon with 13, Michael Porter Jr. with 26, Nikola Jokic with damn near another triple-double with 36. Uh, even Campazzo had 10 points. And then you have Jermichael Green with 10. and then. Uh, What's his, what's, what's Morris's first name? Monte. Monte Morris had another 22 point game. So they had a lot of contributions from multiple players on the team. And then you look at Portland and Portland, again, they had the same pretty much resolve on this side too. You had 11 from Covington, Powell with 17, Nurkic with 13. Dame had a little bit of an off night from the field shooting a eight of 20, but he had 28. CJ McCollum, the king of 21 point games scored 21. And then Carmelo Anthony off the bench finally had at least a double-digit performance after three games of single digits. He had 14, but it just showed that the defense of Portland was not enough, and Denver was able to pull away and hold off. Portland had 14 fourth-quarter points. So, I mean, could this series have potentially gone seven? I believe so, but 
Kyle, I'm sitting here, man, looking at this series, thinking that this had the potential to be one for the history books. I mean, what what do you think? The Portland Trailblazers blew it in game six. They had full control of this game. In the third quarter, they were up like 15, 16 points. And it got out of their hands. And a lot of it had to do with Nurkic being out. So just to kind of set some context here, going into the third quarter, Nurkic had zero fouls. At the end of the third, he had four. So he was in relentless foul trouble. And I think maybe the Nuggets made a a halftime adjustments to attack him. Because then if you get him out of the game, it allows Jokic to go off. And Jokic went crazy in the third quarter. He was sensational in game six. He looked like that MVP candidate that has been discussed all year because he was phenomenal in the second half. He was knocking down three-pointers. He's knocking down jump shots. He he was so pretty down low. Like his footwork is second to none. For somebody that big to have that good of footwork is unbelievable. And he showed out in the second half of the game. And because of his performance in the second half, it allowed Denver to creep back into the game. And then going into the fourth quarter, the Nuggets just kept the gas on the, they just kept the foot on the pedal. Monte Moore's, he was just so consistent this entire series. He had another phenomenal game. He knocked down some big buckets, especially in the second half that allowed Denver to not only come back from the deficit that they had, but to take the lead and then extend it. They they were sensational. They stepped up the defensive pressure because Portland got into an issue with turning the ball over. And Damian Lillard had a terrible fourth quarter. He did not play well. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fatigue factor from game five. And look, Dane played two overtimes in the, in the game previously. And I think when it got to the fourth quarter, just with the volume of how much time that he had played in the last couple of games, I think in the second half, he only was out for 30 seconds. So he was on the court for damn near the entire second half. And I think he just ran into a wall. At 43 minutes played, bro. CJ McCollum. He had some opportunities for some good looks. He didn't knock him down. Carmelo didn't necessarily have the best game. Nurkic down low was just, he was just completely overmatched by Jokic. And the Nuggets were just impressive in in that third and fourth quarter. That's where it really kind of stood out to me. And because of that, the Nuggets are going to the second round of the playoffs and the Blazers are going home and they got to look themselves in the mirror and say, damn, we, we had a double digit lead against Denver. And we got absolutely annihilated at the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter. Where, at home. Where Denver Denver won by double digits. It's like, how can that happen? How? It's crazy. I mean, that, that, that leads us into this trending topic. I mean, Kyle, do you happen to have that post quote up from what Dane posted on Instagram today of him saying congratulations to Jokic? Um it was – how can I word this? The, the, the quote went something like, uh, when does like when does uh, opportunity meet with preparation? I'm paraphrasing here. It's not the literal quote, but it was kind of a cryptic message. I think he was kind of maybe mentioning, it was like, okay, at what point is all of this work 
going to present itself with an opportunity to be a legitimate team that could go for a finals run. That's what I kind of took away from it. But I think a lot of it may just come to the fact of, look, Portland has had a decent team the last couple of years, but they've never been able to ascend to what I would consider like the upper echelon of the Western Conference. And you've got Damian Lillard, who is one of the best point guards that this generation has to offer. And he can't get past the first round. I can understand the frustration from Dame. I know Dame may not verbalize that a lot, but I think I think there's definitely some growing frustration with Dame and just how the organization is just not able to lure in or bring in some high-end free agents to pair with Dame. Because the way that this roster is currently constructed, this team can maybe get to the second round and that's it. This team is not built for a finals run. Simply because their offensive production is great, but their defense sucks. They cannot play defense. And until they get that addressed, I don't think Portland's really going to be in a situation where they're going to end up in a Western Conference Finals or they're going to end up in in a situation where that they're going to be, hey, Max, hey, buddy. And um, guys, this is my dog. If you guys are watching on YouTube, say hi. But um, all in all, it's just that, look, I think the Blazers at best, you know, they're going to get to the second round of the playoffs or maybe, you know, the first. They're going to get past that in the first round. Max, what's up, buddy? What's good, Bob? All right. All right. You gotta get down. Max, we mid episode, my boy. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. It's okay. He's gonna pull down the whole he's gonna pull down the whole episode, but Max said hi. Or he or he might get us some views. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But um yeah, it's just all in all that look, Portland has is, is a good team. I don't want that to get lost in translation here. But I just don't think they have really the the team is not built for the finals. We love Dame. Dame has been sensational for the last couple of years, but it's not enough. So I'm, 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 I have the quote pulled up in front of me here, just so you guys have reference. How long should I stay dedicated? How long till opportunity meet preparation? And that's a quote from Nipsey Hussle. Mm-hmm. Mind you, Damian Lillard has said on a multitude of occasions, he doesn't believe in the super team. He doesn't believe in leaving the place that gave him the shot, mm-hmm. gave him the opportunity to be the person that he is today and play the game that he loves. You know what I'm saying? Like he just wants to be lawyer to Portland. I fuck with that. I love that. I respect that. Dirk Davinsky obviously did it for 21 years. Kobe Bryant did it for 20 years. There are players that can be loyal, but at the same time they win. Mm-hmm. Granted Kobe had Shaq, Kobe had Powell, Dirk can have nobody, but you know, um, you just, you sit here and you're like, is this good for Dame? Like we're talking first and second round exits for the majority of this man's career. That's just, that's not what a, any player wants. We know that Damian Lillard has the potential to be an MVP candidate. We know that Damian Lillard has the shooting and electrifying capabilities and playmaking uh, skills to dominate anybody. You saw that in game five. You know, 55 points, breaking the uh, playoff three-point record. And it still came in a loss. No disrespect to anybody on this Portland team, but like Kyle said, this is not an NBA Finals-ready team. 
CJ McCollum has been a great running partner with Damian Lillard for the last five to six years, but we all know defensively, this is the smallest and weakest backcourt that the NBA has. I mean, it's unfortunate that there is no size here. Offensively, these two are very gifted and very skilled. And when they get hot, they might be the best backcourt outside of Clay Thompson and, and uh, Stephen Curry. But when the other side of the ball comes, it's always an issue. You get a switch, you get them in the post, you get a, you get a forward on them. It, it, it's just, it's easy money. And that's no disrespect to them. They may be good at what they do, but they're just, they're, they're at a physical disadvantage. So there have been a lot of speculation that people are going to reach out to Portland this offseason to see if they are willing to move Damian Lillard. And I talked to Kyle about this a few days ago, believe it or not, way before this even got to this point of Portland losing. Um, I don't think Portland's going to let him walk away for anything. Mm-mm. I mean, anything. Damian Lillard is on a supermax contract from the Portland Trailblazers from what, two years ago he got that big deal or a year ago or whatever it is. It was so he's got ago. some time. He's got, he's, he's got some time left on that contract. That's a pretty decent nugget for any team to swallow. And I don't say that as a pun. I said nugget. That was kind of funny. Um, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it like a lot of teams would offer, hey, we'll give you a boatload of picks. Like the Thunder were acquiring for Russell and for Paul George. Like the Clippers used to acquire Paul George. Like a lot of teams are using to acquire everybody. You know, like me and Kyle talked about it a couple months back when the NBA season started. I didn't even know first round picks were utilized this much in the NBA. So I don't see it as a point of emphasis to go out and try to acquire someone that is untouchable, so to speak, because you can offer all the first round picks in the world and some role players, but what's that going to do for Portland? I believe if they even entertain the thought of uh, letting Dame go, I think that Portland goes into an OKC kind of mood of a, well, we let our best player go. We're blowing this shit up and we're letting everybody go. And then it, it, it seems to be a trending thing where teams are just sitting uh, and acquiring picks for the future to build. It started with Danny Age in Boston. Sam Presti's got like 38 picks in the next like five years. And now we're sitting here thinking, well, if, is Portland willing to let him go? I don't think so. It's like Kyle said, we have one of the best point guards in this generation. And I don't think it's possible for them to let their best player go. And if it is, where does he go? That's the thing. It's the big two-letter word that everybody throws around in, in, in life, IF, what if. Reportedly, there's already interest that the Knicks have already called Portland to see what it's going to take to get him to New York. But again, we all know, no disrespect to the Knicks, they do this every year. There's rumors that they're after everybody. There's rumors that LeBron was going to go there, KD, Kyrie, Kemba, so on and so on and so forth. So this is just another player on the list until it actually happens. Yeah. Um, Kyle, do you think Dame gets moved? And if... He does, again, the magic word. Where do you think he would fit best? Find a team that needs a point guard. Send him to LA. I know we need a point guard. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, I don't, don't, th- don't get the caps for that shit. I know. I'm just saying. Just, you know, pipe dream thinking here. Um, all in all, I find it very hard to believe that Dane would end up leaving Portland. I think he has too much invested personally in Portland. I think he loves it there. I think he really wants to bring a championship to Portland just because I think he kind of wants to see the work itself pay off in some sort of way down the road. And I, and I think to, to have that end in a championship would just be great for him personally. And it'd be great for the city as far as like teams that may try to go get him. I mean, look, if you're going to try to acquire Damian Lillard, you're going to have to pay literally an arm and a leg to try to go get him. 
And maybe the kitchen sink. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of capital that you'd have to move to bring in a guy like Dame. And I don't know if it's necessarily worth it. Like, if if you're the Knicks, since you brought the Knicks, for example, why would the Knicks trade their entire young core, which could be R.J. Barrett? maybe even Reggie Bullock. I mean, those guys have already had chemistry for a couple of years on that team. Even if they were to, to get Dame in a trade, would the Knicks be contending for a title at that point? I don't know if they necessarily would because we saw like... He'd be in the same boat. We, we saw in this year's playoff matchup between the Knicks and the Hawks that the playoff experience proved to be a major issue for New York. And... Granted, you would you would get some playoff experience with Dame, but at what cost? So everything. That's kind of the thing. I honestly think that his best situation is probably staying in Portland. I think the best thing going forward with this team, as far as Portland goes in the offseason, is they have to make a more compelling case to bring in some free agents. I think look, Dame is clearly the number one. I don't think CJ McCollum is really a number two. I think if you were to look at a championship contending team, I think CJ McCollum is probably a three, but on Portland, he's there too. And he's, he's decent. He has his moments, but when you're shooting like maybe around like 40% in these playoff games and getting consistently like around 20, 25 points, it's not enough. So, I don't know what's I, I don't know really what Portland's options are to build a championship team with the roster they currently have because I don't think it's in the works. I think that they're definitely going to have to make a better team by bringing in free agents that first of all A can shoot and play defense. And to me their defense is probably the most the most glaring weakness on this team. Offensively they could score but their defense, they give up way too many points. So now I, I just, I thought about this randomly. I'm just, just looking at my computer and it's popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, if Kawhi Leonard were to leave LA this off season, defense is the issue. What if Kawhi teams up with Dame and CJ? Does that put them in the upper echelon of the Western conference to say, yo, these two can hoop. And then CJ has that third option, maybe coming off the bench, depending on what they build around. That's a lot scary. It would depend on their cap room. They no, of course, I'm saying, this is all hypothetical. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it would be great. It's just that. Well, if Portland has an opportunity, I think for a fact, they would definitely petition, petition to get a meeting with Kawhi's group and say, yo, you saw what I did by myself, basically. What come, they're, they're going to make available roster moves because I guarantee you, if he's entertaining, Carmelo Anthony's out of there. I think Nurkic will probably get his deal restructured. Covington's gone. Norman Powell's off of a trade. They don't really have anybody else on long-term contracts because everybody else on this team, A, barely plays, and B, isn't on anything long-term. Yeah. It's, I think that would be crazy. I think that would be the perfect fit, personally. Well, and, and who knows? If the Clippers end up losing game six against the Mavs. It could be, you know, it could be, it could be a possible way out for Kawhi. I don't know if Kawhi is going to be with the Clippers after this year. There's, 
there's already rumblings about him potentially maybe looking elsewhere. Could Portland be in the mix? Maybe. But this is this is Kawhi's what, third year with LA? Second? This is his second. Right, because last year was his first in the bubble. Yeah. So this is second. Yeah. I'm curious, bro. I'm definitely Oh yeah, it, I, I, I'm. If if this to me, this is the best place for Kawhi Leonard. They already have offensive intensity with one dude, and we all know CJ can light it up. So all the pressure won't have to be on Dame and Kawhi. If you leave CJ, you know, one on one, he can win most matchups. But I'm saying here, you put a lot of a little bit more pieces. You get some vets to sign on one year minimum deals. I think Portland immediately catapults. He brings a defensive intensity. He brings a, a second person that can score, a, a second option, and Kawhi doesn't have to bring the ball up. Mm-hmm. Dude, that takes off so much pressure off Kawhi Leonard. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it changes the entire game. And the thing is, if you were able to get Kawhi on Portland, it addresses the issue that I brought up, which is their defense. Because Kawhi is one of the best defensive players that you could bring in in free agency. Granted, I don't know. Against Luka Doncic, but yeah. You know, I would still take Kawhi though. Kawhi as oh, yeah. as he's one of the best two way players in the game. He still has a lot of tread on those tires. I'm telling you that that could be something that Portland could at least have internal discussions about if Kawhi is available. That's really the kind of the main point is if Kawhi is available. Magic word I F. But you heard that here first on the Neighborhood Podcast. That's a prediction here on June fourth. If this magically comes to fruition, y'all know where to find us. Y'all got our, our YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Subscribe and comment and be like, yo, y'all was, y'all was right. I'm just saying. Um, but that about wraps up the majority of our NBA content. We have one more to talk about today. We're going to talk about the next round series against the Brooklyn Nets, or should I say the Brooklyn Nets against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, that seven-game series begins tomorrow night in Brooklyn. Uh, Kyle. The Brooklyn Nets dominated the Boston Celtics, including Jason Tatum's incredible performance. But as a unit, that big three seems like they came together at the right time. And it seems that Giannis has shaken his potential postgame jitters with the addition of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton playing very well. How do you think this series is going to go in terms of who would you think would win? And then who do you got winning game one? Well, I think overall, I, I'm still thinking that Brooklyn has the advantage because there hasn't been any team yet to be able to take down this three-headed monster with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Now, I do think that the Bucks present the best challenge against them because defensively, this is probably going to be the best team that Brooklyn's going to come face-to-face with if they end up advancing past Milwaukee. Look, Milwaukee looked impressive against Miami swept them off the court, and their defense was stifling. And I think going into this series, if Milwaukee could play a similar type of defense that they had against Miami, I think it's going to give the Nets some trouble. I don't necessarily think that we're going to see all three of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving score 100-plus points and be the overwhelming production offensively for the team. I think it's going to be a little bit less just because I think Milwaukee's defense is too good to allow that to happen. I still think that like one or two of them 
are going to have possibly good games, but not all three. One of them is going to take a hit. And I think the, the, the matchup that I'm looking forward to is Drew Holiday going up against Kyrie Irving because Drew is one of the best defensive players in the game. He had a sensational series against Miami, but going up against Kyrie Irving, Kyrie has some of the best handles in the game. He's one of the best point guards in the game right now. And that's going to be a fun matchup. And then when you look across the board, I believe that that Chris Middleton is probably going to be either on James Harden or Kevin Durant. Wouldn't surprise me if he gets switched on to both of them at some point in some of these games. And we're going to have to see, can James Harden be able to be able to get past that matchup between him and Chris Middleton. And the one thing that I am going to be paying attention to in this series, specifically talking about Harden here, is he going to continue to facilitate like he was against Boston? Because he was facilitating at will against Boston's defense. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case against Milwaukee. Now, the key for me is, okay, can Milwaukee score with if Giannis has a bad game? Because... This has been the biggest knock on Milwaukee. They can't score and they can't really win games if Giannis has a bad game offensively in the playoffs. Well, Brooklyn doesn't necessarily have a very good uh, defense. In fact, they have one of the worst defenses that we've ever seen. So it's actually of my opinion that I think the Bucs are going to score a lot of points in this series. And you combine that with their defense, I think this gives them a very good shot against the Nets. As far as game yeah, one okay. goes, just to kind of make the prediction for game one, I got it. I got the Nets. I think the Nets are going to score probably. I think they're still going to score like 110 points, just because I know at least KD, Kyrie, or James. I know at least one or two of them are going to go off. Not all three though. I think James might kind of more settle into a facilitator type role in game one, but I think it's going to be a very close game. I think this is going to be a very exciting game. Like I think Giannis is going to have a very good game because Brooklyn really doesn't have anybody to match him down low against Chris Middleton. I think he might struggle offensively just because depending on who gets assigned to him defensively, it could be KD. KD's like has always been an issue for some players that are going up against him one-on-one. And I don't necessarily think that Chris Middleton is going to have the best game. I think Drew is going to actually have a decent game in that one-on-one matchup against Kyrie. But I'm going with the firepower here. I just, the Nets have too much offensively. And uh, the Milwaukee Bucks would have to have an outstanding outstanding game defensively if they're going to steal this one in Brooklyn. So... Um, my headphones are dying so quickly. I will just make a brief summary to what Kyle said because he said everything I wanted to say, as he normally does, because we tend to think on the same track. I think the matchup is just going to be straight up Kyrie, Drew, Chris, Harden, and then Giannis and KD because Giannis has been playing the three and the four, but Joe Harris starts for the Nets, so that immediately shifts KD to the four. So I think that that's a perfect matchup between a former defensive player of the year two-time MVP, a scoring champion, and an MVP. I think that's going to be a great – that's my matchup to circle, obviously, the two dominant players, the two best players on the team. And then at the five, it really depends. Brooke Lopez, for the most part, has started at the five for Milwaukee, but if they do go small like Brooklyn has known to go, 
I don't know if Blake Griffin plays the five. I don't know if DeAndre Jordan finally gets some playing time because he's been a lot of he's been in a lot of DMPs over the last couple of weeks. So I, I I don't know the lineup that Brooklyn's going to go with, but I do know that the superstars match up with the superstars, and I think that this is the best defensive team to combat Brooklyn's offense because they match up very well. Obviously, Drew and Kyrie relatively close to the same height, same position. The same with Chris Middleton, and then literally the same exact height with Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. So. Giannis seems to be very confident this postseason, something he was lacking in postseasons before. Obviously, Brooklyn's rolling. I think this series has the potential to go seven games because I think Brooklyn's offense and their defense are both a positive and a very big concern because that leaves room for uh, Milwaukee to go out and have big games. But it's all about, for me, bench production. Mm-hmm. What are the big? What are the role players outside of each team's big three going to do? You know, is Brooke Lopez going to be the Brooke Lopez from last postseason pulling and taking a lot of three point jump shots? Or is he going to be the Brooke Lopez, ironically, from his Brooke, from his New Jersey Nets days back to the basket, getting people into foul trouble and getting to the free throw line? I think to me, Brooke Lopez is the X factor for this series because he has the ability being the tallest person and strongest person on the court to get those people in foul trouble and to take care of those mismatches down low on the block. I think that he finds ways to get offensive rebounds and extend possessions. We do know that he's one of the better rebounding bigs in the league, and he has been for some time. And I think that he makes a very big impact on this series going forward. Now, switching it back to the Nets, like you said, that three-headed monster, any one of those three players can tee off for 30-plus. Obviously, one of them being James Harden can focalize mainly on facilitating if he has a bad shooting night. But we all know that the three of these players each have egos. Now, with this matchup being a struggle in terms of the defensive matchup for them against Milwaukee, are one of them going to get into that ego check of, well, he's not that good, I'm going to keep shooting? I believe that's going to be the issue with James Harden. We all know that James has that issue of he's going to keep shooting no matter what, and you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Kyrie Irving's obviously got a chip on his shoulder from last season, or excuse me, last series with Boston. He's going to want to continue that hot streak. And then Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. He's going to get his shots regardless. But when you're matched up against a former defensive player of the year, somebody who literally matches you physically in almost every category, minus your jump shot, I think that KD is going to struggle this series because him and Giannis literally match up blow for blow size. And Giannis is bigger in terms of width, like weight wise. So I think that's going to be a little bit more of a physical portion of KD to go out there and try to match up against him in a seven game series. So overall, I think this goes seven. I'm going to take Brooklyn in this series just because you have the firepower. And like you said, when Giannis has a bad game, the other players tend to not produce. And I think that this big three is meant to go to the finals. They were assembled for a reason. And I think that they just have too much against the the lack of offense, or should I say potential lack of offense that could be of the of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. But I will say that in this first game, I'm calling the upset. I'm taking Milwaukee over Brooklyn. And I think that Milwaukee's big three combines for a good amount of points. And I think that Brooke Lopez has a really big game. I think it's a kind of like a gut punch to them saying, yo, we're here. Giannis has had some, some days off and the team is well put together. I think Milwaukee shocks Brooklyn and takes game one. No, that's a convincing point. Uh, it's just for me, I got to see a team actually be able to combat that three headed monster. And look, Joe Harris has been playing up to snuff the last couple of games that he was going up against uh Boston in that series and I don't know who this um I forget the guy's first name but Claxton on uh Brooklyn on, on Brooklyn 
He was playing some really yeah, yeah, yeah. he was playing some really good minutes for Brooklyn in the last couple of games. So maybe they utilize him in the offense because they can run a nice pick and roll with him and get him some easy buckets. And he is he can provide a nice little spark for Brooklyn here and there coming off the bench. So I would definitely keep my eyes out on I believe it's Claxton. I, I yeah, Nicholas Claxton. Yeah, he's he's he could be a nice little spark player for them. So I, I would definitely keep my eyes out for him. I do think that the Bucks are going to miss DiVincenzo a little bit because he is out for the remainder of the playoffs. To what extent could that have on Milwaukee's bench? We'll find out. But with him out of the lineup, it could be significant. So I'm not going to I'm not going to discount that as well. Yeah, no, it, it's it's going to be a good series. I think this might be one of the better series we have this postseason. Mm-hmm. So I just. I genuinely think that this Milwaukee team matches up very well. And it's just a matter of their big three, maybe not evening out or equaling what the big three of Brooklyn puts out offensively. It's a very tall task, but I do think that this is a good and deep enough team to go out there and say like, we, we can compete. We just need everybody's help. This is going to be a team effort versus Brooklyn's kind of like, yo, the three of us can score like a hundred. Can y'all like give us like 15 points between like the nine of you? Exactly. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. I know this is going to be a matchup for, you know, for the foreseeable future for the next couple of weeks. And um, I couldn't be more hyped for it, man. Seriously. Same here. Same here. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. So, I mean, guys, with all that being said, that's going to wrap up the episode for us today. Uh, We are recording this on Friday. Obviously we were kind of waiting for the Laker game to finish, but it got a little closer than what we expected. So instead of recording during the game, we both watched it. And by the time that ended, it was like 1.30 in the morning, almost 2. So, uh, yeah, we're recording this a little late. You guys will obviously see this by tonight, hopefully, in segments. It all depends on Kyle uh, being able to edit it. Again, grateful for you to be able to do that. If not, you'll see it over the weekend and obviously throughout Monday. And Kyle and I will be ready for you guys bright and early, either Monday morning or Sunday evening. It all depends on how these games all plan out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with that said, you guys, once again, I know we say it every episode, but we definitely appreciate the support wherever we can get it, whether it's just listening to us on the podcast or watching us on YouTube, whether it's watching the episodes on YouTube or watching our segment clips that we upload to there. We definitely appreciate it. Pretty much going into next week, it's going to be all NBA. We're going to get into the second round of the playoffs. So definitely expect some more predictions, some more previews of these upcoming playoff series in the Eastern and Western Conference. And it's going to be fun. It's weird that... We're not going to have an NBA Finals that either features Steph Curry or LeBron James. It's the first time that I believe that's happened since 2010. So yeah, it's going to be a little odd. But you know what? It's that newer generation. They're coming into the fold, and they're making their names, and they're making their presence. No. Freaking Devin Booker, man. 47 in game six. Jesus. Buckets. Man, the dude is a walking bucket. But, Big facts. But with that said, once again, thank you guys for the support. And we will see you guys next week. Let's go, Mavs. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.
Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.